Today I get to preach on Luke 11, 1 through 13. And it's funny because whenever a passage is familiar, I find myself getting very angsty, kind of like preteen or teenage Tiana angsty. Like, everybody knows this already. I don't know what to say. I need a fiery passage. But when I settled down and realized this is the week that I chose, <laughs> knowing that this was a text, and four days before it's done, it's a done deal. So I just have to settle in. And once I do that, I realize that this week that I chose is um, something we need at this time. This is something that never gets old. So I begin to read commentaries, I phone a friend, I get input, I pray, and then I'm able to just be present to the text. Recognizing that even if it is familiar, or even if every one of you has this memorized, that God can still speak to us through his word. His word is alive and active, and we need to return again and again to it, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to find truth, to find hope, to read of his love towards us. That never needs to become old. It's okay that it might be familiar. So let us pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you for today. I thank you for each person in uh, the seats here. Thank you for each person online. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that um, is teaching us things, teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to come to you. I pray, Lord, I can tell that I'm feeling jittery. I don't know if it's the coffee or <laughs> new faces, but I just pray that you would use me, your servant, um, to just talk about your word, to be in conversation with my friends here. We love you and we give you this next little bit of time and pray that you would be glorified. Amen. So when reading this first part of Luke, one can quickly recognize that even though the whole passage is on prayer, it's kind of clumped in three sections. And that's how I'll approach it today. Chapter 11 begins with Jesus in prayer and the disciples desiring to be taught how to pray. Their request is, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. With this sentence, a commentary suggests that we begin to see the disciples are becoming an identifiable community. Basically saying, John's disciples have learned to pray. We are your disciples. Will you teach us to pray? I imagine Jesus was pleased to hear this request and even more pleased to teach them. He responds to them with this. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is a prayer we have seen before in the book of Matthew, so two of the Gospels have this prayer. Here we see a slightly different version. We know this prayer as the Lord's Prayer, and it is the Lord's Prayer because he's the one that spoke it to them. However, it is also known as the disciples' prayer because they have asked and he has taught them. One commentator wrote, expressing their common needs and sense of togetherness, here is a community dependent on God and united in prayer before him for even the most basic needs of life. Disciples in touch with God take nothing from granted, for granted from him. The prayer begins with Father. Father here is not the same as saying Abba. It's not intimate in that way. 
However, the disciples are approaching God as a caring father figure. In this prayer, they are choosing to have childlike trust. This father is one they can turn to for care and protection. And we too can approach God in this way. Deeply personal, completely accessible. This is this father. In Ephesians 2.18, it speaks of him in this way. For through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So the prayer begins with Father. When Jesus addresses the disciples, he says, when you pray, this you is a collective you, a plural you. This is a prayer done in community as a body. I realized that whenever I pray this prayer, it's so funny because I'm like, I've never prayed this by myself. I literally have prayed it only in community. I've read it by myself several times, but I've only ever really prayed it in community, which is, which is kind of cool, actually. Moving on to hallowed be your name. The Father is holy. We want to come to him knowing that. Hallowed reminds us that he is holy and worthy of honor and respect. We read of his holiness in Psalm 111:9. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. In 1 Samuel 2:2, there was no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then from Revelations 15:4, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and, and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And there are many, many, many more verses that speak to this holiness, the set-apart set character, which is God. Your kingdom come, praying for God's just rule even now on earth. We also know that at this time we suffer, and we deal with difficulties, and we deal with uncertainties. And we also know that one day, God will reveal himself in power and rule in glory. So those three words remind us of the hope that is to come. Your kingdom come. There's hope in that. Give us each day our daily bread. God is our provider. Looking to him to provide what we need, even down to the basics of bread. Literally. Trusting him to provide this. We can look at chapter 12, so I'm probably stealing somebody's thunder for next week, <laughs> for support in providing our needs. Jesus says this to his disciples. Listen closely. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And what's wild is I saw this yesterday. I was out with a friend at uh, Cafe Sal Marie and her twin sons, who that's a whole other story, 12-year-olds. But uh, the birds were just like, the minute somebody left the table after leaving crumbs, these birds were so provided for. I mean, they were all heading towards our space, but mostly in that space just getting every little bit. And it's like, man, this, this, this customer provided for these birds. A little too close to me, but, you know, provided for nevertheless. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? So think about that. How much more valuable yet those birds have been taken care of. Like, this is beautiful. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. 
Yet I will tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So when we think of give us our daily bread, this is what we have in mind, is this God that's going to provide, this God that's aware of our needs, that we can ask, give us our daily bread. Actually, this is more a statement, and that he will provide for us. We trust that he will give us daily what we need. The next verses are on forgiveness. We desire to be forgiven. Is this not true? <laughs> Is this not true? <laughs> I want to be forgiven. Do you all want to be forgiven? <laughs> we desire to be forgiven and we too need to forgive. And that's, that's, that's sort of the hook in all this is that we desire it, but what do we have to do? We have to forgive as well, which for some of us, you know, that's been a process of learning how to do that well. In the Greek, the understanding of this is everyone who is indebted to us. So not just that person that, you know, said that thing and that was, you know, they weren't, they were having a rough day. Everyone who is indebted, no matter what, what they've done, that that is who we are to forgive. The cross-reference verses are from Matthew 18, when the wicked servant was forgiving his debt because he begged the master and the master forgave him. Then that same servant went out and found his fellow servant who owed him significantly less than he owed the other master, but showed him no mercy when he asked for more time to pay his debt and had him thrown into jail until he could pay. And as we know, the master was outraged and reminded the servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? This is the level of forgiveness that is referred to in this prayer. Forgiving all the debt. So we don't get to hold back. Forgiving all the debt, all the wrongs, as he has done for us. He does not limit it. He does not say, I'll forgive Tiana this one thing, but this over here. So that the gravity of that is, is, is something. The last part, and lead us not into temptation, can be misunderstood causing us to act Ask, God loves us and cares for us. Why would He ask? Why would He? Ask, why would we ask Him to lead us not into temptation? Again, the commentary here had said the request really reflects a fundamental recognition about ourselves. If we are to be protected from temptation, we must lean on God to protect us. So it's more of a of a request that we would not give in. So yes, lead us not into temptation, but Lord, really. Help me not to give in to this temptation. After teaching him this prayer, this is the next section, he says, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love the NIV for that, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. 
As I read the section several times, I realized that there was an urgency to, to this request. And not only an urgency, but a boldness from this friend. And not only a boldness, but as it says in these verses, shameless audacity. And sometimes when I read this kind, I kind of feel aggravated, like, can it wait until morning? We're done for the night. Why didn't you have any food in your house? That's strange. That's perhaps not my problem. This being said, with a little attitude in my voice, and I know that that surprises some of you because you don't think of me in that way. <laughs> and some of you may know me a little better. <laughs> but I am a little bit like, settle down. Like, this person can wait. If they showed up, then just have them wait. And reading more about the culture of this time, uh, if a person had a guest show up, they were to show hospitality. It did not matter what time of day this person showed up, this guest showed up. The friend who this person sought for help was most likely to be in one room with his whole family and settled for the night. This would be a huge inconvenience. And there could be children or babies or others sleeping. And so to disturb someone wanting something like this, this is a big deal. That Jesus would use this as an example of prayer, the boldness, the shameless audacity, the consistent asking until the response is granted, that is a powerful way to approach God. And obviously, this is what he is telling us to do. He follows it up with these verses, the next verses. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Need a little water break. Now think about those verses in our context. America 2022. Because we've got to bring truth where we are, right? What if when you said thoughts and prayers, okay, get rid of thoughts. <laughs> I know some people are cringing already, like, where's she going? And I know I probably lost half the room. And I'm not sure why thoughts is thrown in there anyway. What if when we said we're going to pray for our nation, our kids, our friends, our elderly, our block, the into gun violence, homeless being housed, our leaders, our church leaders, and all the various communities we're all a part of? What if we prayed for all these people, all these situations, and all these places with that kind of shameless audacity? What would that do in us, first of all? To be in that kind of constant conversation with God, bringing everything to him. I mean, the real, the, even the stuff that we can't say out loud. Everything, if we're just constantly in prayer, in conversation with God. Trusting him with all all of it. Like, okay, this, even though he knows it, he's like, sometimes to just actually say it to him is a whole nother thing. It's like, yeah, I'm aware, Tiana. <laughs> just say it, bring it to me. What would that do to us, trusting him? What did it do for that friend? It drove me crazy reading it, but he or she, and I'm thinking it might be a she, <laughs> they came to that door and they knocked and they knocked and they knocked until they were heard by their friend. They were not leaving. That request was going to be made known, and the other friends said what they needed to say, gave them the facts of being in bed, etc. We know this. Then they moved into action, providing what their friend needed. It was that important. The request demanded a response. 
So some of you know that on Wednesday we do some visiting, those of us on staff, and it has become one of my favorite days, mostly because it's about being with people, and I'm all about being with people and maybe even some fun in the midst of it. So several of us on staff is at folks at Bryn Mawr Care for Bible study. Shout out to Bryn Mawr Care, folks. <laughs> Love going there. And then we go to Alden Lakeland Rehab, Rehab Center. So we haven't been able to go to Bryn Mawr lately because COVID. COVID's ruining everything, but hopefully soon. And we have been able to go into Alden, which is a rehab, which surprises me, but I'm grateful for. So I have been visiting two or three people each time I go there. All the staff who go know these women as well. And of course, they're all my favorites. <laughs> and the first lady, like, she just like, okay, who has seen The Princess and the Frog? I've seen it, of course, because her name is Princess Tiana. So remember they go into the swamp. I don't have this written down, but I just have to tell you about this. Uh, remember they go into the swamp, and she's kind of, I don't know if she's like a witch or something, but she's going to help them break the spell. Do you all remember her? And she has like this cackly laugh. Well, that's one of our, the first ladies we meet, and she's awesome. She's just so full of joy, has this cackly laugh, and be like, oh, you know, and just, we'll, we'll just be so excited about literally everything, right, Chris? Like, literally everything. <laughs> I brought her some muffins, some homemade muffins last Saturday, and it was like, oh, gosh, she would have thought I brought, I don't know, something more amazing than muffins. But So she's the first person we meet. The second lady we visit is confined to her bed. I believe she had a stroke, possibly a heart attack. She has a, a long incision. I'm unsure of what she uh, has gone through. Have not asked, of course. Well, she lights up when she sees us. Whenever we are there, she wants us to come by. It's a standing invitation. We don't have to ask. We don't have to you know, ask the staff. We just show up. So every time I visit with her, she talks about one group of people. She prays for them, and we have ended our time praying for them. She always talks about and prays for, it's going to make me emotional, our children. And acknowledging that they are growing up in a very, very messed up time. And she'll say they're killing each other. And they are also victims of harmful and hateful actions. And she did refer to the, um, what happened in Uvalde. <sighs> in my imagination, I see this woman banging on the doors of heaven on behalf of these children not letting up until the door opens and there's a response. She is consistent every week. She is joyful, but she is always like the children, the children, the children. We have got to pray and be there for the children. Ask, seek, knock. We are told to do this. My friend Barbara is an example of these verses. Prayer is not inactive. It is not passive. It does not just hang out with thoughts. We engage in it there is action involved. The final section of this passage kind of feels like the cherry on top. It reads, Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? Think about that. We just have to ask. He longs to give us good gifts. We begin with being taught how to pray. We are then told that with boldness, with shameless audacity, we are to come to God. Now we are told that we can expect good from God and the Holy Spirit. 
We have already been told to ask. I think these verses again emphasize the relationship between you and him and me and him. Recently, I had the privilege of being one of the speakers at the Bridge Church. Is anybody familiar with the Bridge? They meet on Tuesday night. Love the bridge. Oh my gosh. I really enjoyed being there. And, you know, initially it was sort of like, you know, I always get a little intimidated when it's a new crowd. Like, okay, are they ready to hear, you know, from me? And, and are they wondering who, why am I up there? I don't know. So growing in confidence. Uh, this church is a weekly program designed to help men and women coming out of prison find a new church home. And they have a new location there on Roosevelt. However, the church is so welcoming and accessible and provides a meal at their services on Tuesday, so I'm not sure why anyone would want to leave. And if the church was closer, I'd probably hang out there too on Tuesday and not just for the food, even though I like food. I really am about the relationships. Anyhow, every week they have a topic that a congregant has written about. So somebody chooses this, puts this in the box, they put their hand in the box, and then they pick out one. Yeah, couples can go there, singles as well, and it's, it's a church. That, no, it's not here. But they also encourage people to go to other churches. And each speaker gets 10 minutes to speak on the topic. So Tiana-length type sermons. You know, y'all know I like them short. And it's great to hear from a few different people and get a few different perspectives. This week I spoke, uh, this week that I spoke on was on change. Fearing it and fearing that maybe God might take away a blessing or blessings if indeed change is required in the next phase of this person's life. The understanding being that maybe the blessings were just for that time or that situation. The beauty of that particular concern, though, is that every speaker spoke truth. I mean, it was like Holy Ghost time. It was, it was wonderful how people were getting fired up and how God has good things and to trust him. And this individual, I hope they just were super encouraged as they heard people speak. This fear that this person had reminds me of these verses. When we seek God asking for something, he isn't, he, his desire isn't to give us the worst thing or trick us. Like, oh, I'll give this to Tiana, then I'll take it away. Is it an egg? Is it a scorpion? He loves us. And he wants a relationship with us. One that consists of us coming to him with cares and concerns. One that is us, his created, with the holy creator. In the midst of all this, though, I want us to remember something when thinking of this passage about prayer and considering our own time in prayer. God, first and foremost, wants to be in relationship with us. I've stressed that, but I just really want you all to hear this next section. We are important to him. That comes through loud and clear in scripture, John 1, 12. But to all who did, not, who did receive him, to those who, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of blood, nor of the desire or will of man, but born of God. Ephesians 1, 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He wanted to do this. He was not forced. He wanted to do this. Psalm 36, 5 through 7. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike. O Lord, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. Almighty finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. All humanity, sorry, finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. This God loves us. 
At the beginning of today's text, Jesus is with the disciples in relationship, teaching these things, giving relatable examples through the parables because he loved them. I say all this because sometimes what we hope for and pray for, we do not always get the answer that perhaps we desired in the way that we desired it. Let me say that again. It was a mouthful. We hope for, we do, okay, sometimes what we hope for and pray for, we do not always get the answer that perhaps we desired in the way that we desired it. And we can let ourselves go, go down all kinds of paths. I'm sure we've all done this. There's somebody recently who posted something, they put it on Facebook, so I feel like I'm not going to say their name, but it was very transparent and said, sometimes we just go down these paths. We've been saved for, you know, this person's been saved for 25 years, and it can look like this. God doesn't love me. I'm doing something wrong. I don't have enough faith. No. Clearly, Scripture says the opposite. He tells us to pray, and in our childlike faith, we pray. And we trust that he will give us the grace to face whatever the answers to our prayers are, whatever the answers are. 